Please turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 for a message entitled Conference Truths. Conference Truths. Each year my family has enjoyed attending um, a conference because of the generosity of our church. And the church years ago made allowance for our family to go to a ministry type of conference where our family could be refreshed in the Word of God, could hear preaching throughout the week, and we could come back somewhat rejuvenated. The last several years we've, we've chosen to go to a conference up in the Milwaukee area where Matthew Kelly goes to college, and we have very much enjoyed it, but this year was by far and away one of the most practical conferences we've attended there yet. And twice I've come back from the conference and had um, people in our church say, are we going to hear some of the things that you learned at the conference? And so this Sunday morning, um, I believe the Lord's leading me to relay some of the very truths and super practical illustrations that God gave us that has been a blessing to us. So today is Conference Truths from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you'll join me in verse 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should, we should walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6. This past week, my family enjoyed going over to the Searcy's house and also to the Koning's house. Now, we kept the social distance, but at the same time, we stood outside and we went Christmas caroling without Christmas carols. We went hymn caroling. Just had a wonderful time, kind of at a bit of a distance, but we sang some hymns. And then, when we were at the Searcy's house, we asked... Is there a favorite hymn that we can sing with you? And Mrs. Searcy chose number 151, Maybe Today My Lord Will Come for Me. And this is one of their favorites. We sang through it. Afterwards, Mr. Searcy said, You know, one of my favorite parts of Maybe Today is the chorus, Maybe Today from Sin I shall be free. Jesus will come, and I will go home, and maybe today. But that idea of being free from sin, oh, it's what a wonderful thought. You know, there's coming a day when we will be free from the presence of sin, but already we are free from the power of sin. Oh, yes, we still sin. We're not sinless. The Bible says if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But today, Romans 6, we learn about how God has already given us victory over the power of sin in our lives. And I want to share with you some of the very truths that, that have been helpful to us. The first is that we 
God wants us to know what's right. Second, to think what's right. And third, to do what's right. There's the outline. Look at verse number three. Our text says in Romans chapter six, verse three, know ye not. And it goes on. God wants us to know something. Verse six, knowing this. And then verse nine, knowing that. There's things that God wants us to know. He wants us to know what's right. Uh, And we need to know the truth. There's an old saying, what you don't know can't hurt you. But it can. Um, We need to know the truth about salvation. We need to know that not only can we not save ourselves, but we cannot even live the Christian life in our own strength. That's why the Bible says, Christ, who is our life. And without him, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There's some things God wants us to know, aren't there? And I look at verse 3. The Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. The first truth of two that God wants us to know is that when we're saved, we have a, number one, new union with Jesus. New union with Jesus. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his death. Um, years ago, J. Vernon McGee visited in Israel and got to go up on Mount Calvary. And he was deeply moved. And his guide said, have you ever been here before? He said, yes. When? He said, 2,000 years ago. And he was right. You know, if you're saved, you may not realize it, but you were placed into Jesus Christ, into his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's why verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So when you got saved, you were placed into Jesus, so that when he died, so did you. When he rose, so did you. And we are once we're saved, we are dead to sin and alive to God. This is the new union that we have with Jesus. Now we have songs that speak of the closeness, like I am his and he is mine. The same truth is in now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. I am his. He is mine. But the truth of new union goes further than just belonging one to another. Because I am actually in Christ by position now that I'm saved. And he is in me by his Holy Spirit. And we have this glorious truth that we have a new union with Jesus. Now I'd like you to look at verse number 4. Because there's two very important words, one in verse 4, one in verse 6, and they speak of the possibility, the, the potential of, of what we have in Christ being worked out. Look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, you ought to underline the word should, we also should walk in newness of life. What a great truth. We should. Doesn't mean we always do walk in newness of life, but we should. Um, because Christ is our life. He's that new life. Because we're in union with 
Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. It might be destroyed. Now, the word destroyed, uh, think of it this way. It's not the word for um, a roadside bomb in the Middle East that, say, a tank rolls over and this bomb just completely destroys the tank. We, we heard of this in Afghanistan with roadside bombs. No, it's not like that where, it's, where the body of sin is completely gone, obliterated, once we're saved. It's more like, let's say you're driving in downtown Chicago. You're in a bad area. And um, you you uh, pull up to a store, you go inside, and while you're gone, you, uh, you, you're you just doing some shopping. You come back to your car, and you uh, get in your car, and you turn the key, and nothing happens. Nothing at all. And then you, you go around to the front, you pop the hood, and you look inside, and your battery has been stolen. And, and the cables have just been snipped and your battery taken out. Now, your car is not obliterated. It just has no more power. And that's the word for knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Sin has lost its power. It's lost its authority over you. Um, think of it this way. This new union with Jesus, this means that uh, you have a new boss. Sin is not the ruler over you. We have a young man in our church named Scott. And um, I like Scott. Scott's um, a friend of mine. Scott is a fellow who's just changed jobs. We, I prayed with Scott that God would provide a better job for him because he was in a position where his boss was critical and ugly and would curse and yell and scream. And Scott and I, he, he would just tell me, Pastor, it's unbearable. It is, this is, I, I don't know if I can take this anymore. And the boss was just trying to make life hard on him. It was a terrible situation. Pastor, pray for me that God provides a different job. Well, the Lord provided a, new, a different job and a much better job. Well, I wonder what would happen if, um, now probably Scott, you know, that's an old memory, but what if uh, the boss hadn't forgotten about Scott and tonight, Scott gets a call, and the boss, just thinking about Scott, wanting to make him miserable, says, get in here, get to work, you're coming tonight, I want to see you in here, you're going to get to your job. And Scott answers back, why would I do that? You're not my boss anymore. Well, that's what God is saying. God is saying, now that your old man is crucified with him, this happens so that the body of sin might be, it might not have any power over you. You know that every time we sin, it's like God is saying, sin is not your boss. Sin used to run your life. But you have a new union with Jesus. Jesus is now the new ruler of your life. You know, Now that you're saved, sin doesn't own you. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Why would we serve sin? Sin is not our boss anymore. It has no authority over it, has no power, has no grip. Imagine taking this illustration further. Imagine that you were 
a slave in the pre-Civil War days back on the plantation, and your master was brutal with you, and anything you did, purposeful or non-purposeful, slightly out of line, they would just lay your back bare with the whip, and just such that would cause you to scream in pain and anguish. You have scars all over your back, where there's only a couple ways out of that situation. Either your master dies or sells you, or second, you die. And you know when you die, the old master has no power over you anymore. Can't threaten you. You you can try to threaten a dead person, but they don't care. They're dead. Well, when we got saved, the old boss didn't die. Sin is still around, isn't it? But it's lost authority over you because verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. When you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were united so that when Christ died, you died with Christ. We're buried and risen with him. You are now dead to sin. The old boss is not your boss anymore. In fact, you're dead to sin. Now, the truth is that we need to realize that in Jesus, I'm dead to sin. It's not because I'm good that I'm dead to sin. It's because I am in union with Jesus, and Jesus is dead to sin. That's why I'm dead to sin. You and I who are saved, we're alive to God, not because we're good people, but because we've received Jesus as our Savior, and we have Jesus, we're in union with him, and he's He's alive to God, and I'm in him. Uh, you think of it this way. If you're in Christ... Remember, the Bible says that the God the Father calls the Son, This is my beloved Son. And if you're in Jesus, you're accepted in the Beloved. Because Jesus is God's beloved Son. There's so many truths about being united to Jesus that are so wonderful. But the first we wanted to see is God wants us to know what's right. The second is hard. We need to think that way. Think what's right. That's why verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now, verse 7 says, He that is dead is freed from sin. We're dead to sin. But now verse 11 says, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Reckon is the word for think that way. It's actually an accounting word. An accounting, accounting is a, it's a word without emotion. If you um, were given a check for $500 and you took the check to the bank and you handed them the check and you, and you say, you know what, I'm having such a terrible day. I don't feel good. I feel sick to my stomach. I've got this check and I'm giving it to you, but I don't think it's any good because I just don't feel good today. Well, the bank doesn't care how you feel. They're going to take the check and deposit it in the account. And you might not ever spend it because you don't feel like it, but your feelings have nothing to do with what is. And there's $500 in the bank because the check was put in the bank. And this is an accounting word. We're to say, the truth is, we are dead to sin once we're saved. And reckon means believe what is. In Jesus, 
We are dead with Christ, buried with Christ, risen with Christ. So think that way. You say, Pastor Lang, I want to, but it just doesn't work that way. I don't think that I can make myself think that way. Just because the Bible says I am dead to sin, I don't feel like I am. Okay, well, you know the truth. You're dead to sin, alive to God. Whatever seems wrong with that is a lie from the master deceiver. Satan is a counterfeiter from the very beginning. He's cast doubts on God's word, hath God said. And even now, when you and I hear these great truths that, that we are in union with Christ, we have a new union with him, we have a new master in Christ, there's a part of us that doesn't believe it and says, yes, but I know that when I'm tempted... I almost can't help myself. I get so irritated. I get so angry so easily. The wrong thoughts just come and the lust. And maybe there's there's a feeling that there's just no way out. Well, the Bible says that because God is faithful, he's made a way of escape. There always is a way of escape. And if Satan is telling us that the truth doesn't work, he's lying. Satan is a deceiver. No, Satan is one of the greatest con artists of all time. He causes on a regular basis God's people who have all their sins paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are wrapped in the righteousness of heaven, righteousness of God, who have been united to Jesus, who are dead to sin and alive to God, to think that they have to serve the old master. How do you, how do we beat sin, Pastor? How do we keep from believing the lie? Well, um, this again, another illustration that was from the conference, so good. I'll, uh, let's apply this. Um, not sure how many of you have ever been to an IMAX. Years ago, we went to an IMAX down at Pensacola, um, the, I think it was the Pensacola Naval Museum. And we enjoyed watching an IMAX there. You know, they have one where you can actually watch the Blue Angels. And they have cameras on the bottom of the Blue Angels aircraft. And I have never seen this, but I can I can imagine. So put yourself there. You're in a cushioned seat and you're leaning back and you've got this domed ceiling over the top that is an entire screen. It's a surround sound, surround video experience. And you actually feel like you're right there in the cockpit. You're going through the air, flying so fast, and the plane is doing barrel rolls and spins. And there's, and, and as you're watching, over to your right, you can feel your stomach getting uneasy, but over to your right, the corner of your eye, you hear something, and there's someone who is, they're losing their lunch because it's too much for them. And, oh, that does not help you. you you're, you're talking to your stomach saying, calm down. Do you ever talk to yourself? You're talking to your stomach saying, calm down. I, I am, I'm, uh, I'm doing fine. Then your stomach is talking back saying, I don't care how you say I'm doing. I'm not doing fine. I'm in trouble. And your, your brain tells your stomach, okay, be logical. You're sitting in a chair on the ground in Pensacola in the Naval Air Museum and there's nothing wrong with you at all. And your stomach says, 
you're not convincing me, you're in trouble, I'm about ready to lose it, and the guy in front of me is in trouble. And again, you you say, okay, well, I'm going to prove it to you, stomach, that I'm fine. And so you close your eyes and you take your fingers and you put them up in your ears and you've got your ears closed tight and your eyes closed tight. And slowly everything calms back down in your stomach and you start feeling a little better. Yeah, I think I've got it now. I think I'm fine. And so you take your fingers out of your ears and you open your eyes and, oh, you didn't want to miss it. There it is again. You're enjoying the blue angels flying. And then your stomach says, I hate to tell you this, but I'm in trouble again. Well, when you took your eyes off the screen and closed them, you were reckoning, refusing to believe the lie, the illusion, that you were thousands of feet up in the air. You were recognizing the truth. I'm sitting here in a seat on the ground. Well, that's what we're supposed to do when we're tempted. When we're in a moment of temptation... We're to say, I don't believe you, Satan. I don't believe the lie that I have to do this, that I cannot have victory, because in Jesus, I am dead to sin. That is what the Bible says. It says, how shall we, verse 2, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God says it, I believe it. You know, the reality is, you're sitting on the ground, you're sitting there, and you're not thousands of feet up in the air, no matter what your stomach tells you. Um, you know, you, you want to live in life and think life based on the facts and on the truth, not on an illusion. So, God wants us to know what's right and to think what's right. You know, the Bible goes on in verse 12 and says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Therefore, that's the word that all that has been said for this. Take all the truth that you've just gleaned, that you can know what's right. We need to think what's right. I'm dead to sin, alive to God. Now let's put it into action. And this is the point number three. Not only does God want us to know what's right, think what's right, but God wants us to act upon what's right, do what's right. Take the truth you've learned, put it into action. The Bible says, let not sin therefore reign. It, the word reign is present tense. Don't let sin keep on reigning. It's the idea of stop letting sin rule you. Did you know that sin is not your boss anymore? Young man, lust is not your boss. Lust has no authority over you. Don't obey lust. Obey purity. Sir, anger is not your Lord. There is no reason you're a child of God. There's no reason as a child of God that anger should rule your spirit. Worry has no power over you anymore. We're at a time where many people are fearful, but the Bible says that fear is not of God. That um, God has not given us the spirit of fear, and fear is not to rule us. This is God really getting personal. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. It's God stepping up close to us saying, You are dead to sin. Believe me. Stop believing your enemy. Don't let sin reign, rule, boss you in your mortal body anymore that you should obey it in the lust thereof. 
When Satan says you're not going to get victory, don't listen. Obey the truth. You're not going to win. You've tried before to stop. No, no, the Bible says I'm dead to sin. I'm going to think that way of my position in Christ. I have union with God, so I have the victory of Jesus that's given me in my relationship with him. And reckon it so. You know, interesting, the very word for reckon is present tense. It's going to, it's many constant decisions considering what God says to be true as the truth. Not letting sin reign. Pastor, how do, how do, I, how do I do it? How does it work? Verse 13 is key. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't yield your members to sin. Now, yield is a very important word. Same word that's translated in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies. So when the Bible says neither yield your members, it's not the word for give up, surrender, and quit. It's the word for um, imagine that you're in a war, and you yield up your members, um, for instance, you're fighting against God, but you surrender, not to become God's POW in God's prison camp, but you now are on God's side. You pick up arms for God. You put on the uniform of God. You put on the, the armor of God, and you go to war. Yielding is not surrendering and becoming passive. It's changing sides and yielding ourselves to God, active battling for God. And it says, neither yield your members. Well, what are members? That was ta- as was taught to us the conference, so helpful. It's the idea of body parts. It takes body parts to sin. Now, there's some things that um, you couldn't sin. You couldn't, you couldn't um, listen as well to rock and roll music if you're deaf. You couldn't, you couldn't steal things as easily if you didn't have hands. It takes members. Um, this is, it's stop yielding your body parts to the old master. Now, what's very important in verse number 13, it says, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are, you see the next words? As those that are alive from the dead. When God says we're to yield our members to him, it's not talking about our physical strength, just our, our human strength to God. It's yielding, it says, as those that are alive from the dead. Yielding our new life that is dead with Christ, buried, risen with Christ, alive from the dead. It's this yielding of ourselves in a way that is enabled by God for God's use. Think about it. When the Bible-believing Christian surrenders themselves to God, they don't get what is humanly in their own strength um, possible. They get God's power working through him. It's God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And he says, it's not just your strength, it's yielding members as those that are alive, livened alive from the dead. It goes on and says, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. 
Well, this is a truth we've taught before. The very word obey is the word for to hearken, to listen. It has to do with our ears. Did you know in Proverbs, the word obey is only found, uh, a form of obey is only found twice, but the word for to hear, to hearken is found over 25 times. That's because obey has the idea of listening. And I want to, I want to ask you, are you listening to God? Young people, are you listening to your, to your parents, your God-given authority? If so, you shouldn't have to be told more than once. When mom and dad tell you to go take out the trash or to clean your room, it should be one time and it's done. This is obedience starts with the ears. And if, if mom and dad have to keep telling you that's not obedience, this is, this is very interesting how this passage, we come to the end of chapter 6. I speak after the manner of men. He's going to give a very understandable illustration. Because of the infirmity of your flesh. Our flesh is so dominant. It is the weakest part of our spiritual being. It is, it is, holds us down. The Bible says, in our flesh we can't please God. There dwelleth no good thing. There's an amazing illustration that's spoken after the manner of men. Look what the Bible says in verse 19. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. God says, have you ever yielded yourself to sin? And of course, the answer to that is a very human question. Of course I have. Have you ever yielded your members to uncleanness? Well, that's a dirty word. That was the word for uncleanness. could be from leprosy all the way to immorality in the Bible. Then he says, then you know how to yield your same, those same members to righteousness. If you've yielded them to the old boss, then you know how to yield them to the new boss. You say, I, I don't really understand that. Okay. Well, let's say that you're, you're out and about, you're at Walmart, and you're walking around, and you see someone down the aisle who's dressed highly immodestly, just horrendously revealing, and you, 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 you know you shouldn't look any further. And so at that moment, you've got a choice to yield to the old master and look back at that highly inappropriate person and lust or to yield to your new master, God, and purity. And let's say that you yield to the old master. Now, we're going to be careful here, but think of the progression the moment you yield to the old boss, your body turns back toward that inappropriately dressed person. Your neck turns, your eyes take in the image, and your mind begins to meditate and think upon that. This It's your body parts, your neck, your eyes, your mind, all submitting to the old boss. The Bible says... Just as you've yielded the, your members' servants to uncleanness, even so now yield those same members' servants to righteousness. He's saying, lust isn't your old boss, is your old boss, not your new boss. Jesus is your new boss. So, you know how to do this. Use the same body parts now for God. Well, what does that look like? The same neck muscles turning away from the inappropriate. The same eyes looking away. The same 
mind, instead of meditating upon the wrong with lust, meditating upon the truth, meditating upon the things that are that are pure and wholesome and righteous, this is going to take memorizing some scripture. It's going to take memorizing truths that will help us. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Hey, if you knew that you were going to be attacked, I remember years ago when an old evangelist named Stan Harris uh, told, he was a he was a black belt in martial arts, he told how he walked down an alley and he was jumped by, I think, five different guys from a gang. Well, this great big martial artist just laid them all out, beat them all up. Well, if you knew you were going to get jumped by five guys, you'd be careful. You'd make sure you were prepared. You might call the police and have them with you. You might bring a gun with you. Well, you know that temptation's going to come. So how do you prepare? Well, you, you train your neck muscles to look the right way, your eyes to look the right way. The same members that could be used for the old boss are now used for God and get Scripture to meditate righteously. Imagine... Imagine you're, you're, you're with someone who, who, who knows you really well, and they like to push your buttons. They like to say things that, that, they just get you going, to get your goat. And they start it up, and the battle starts. And at that moment, you think of that verse that, that grievous words stir up anger. And grievous words aren't your boss anymore. Um, used to be you'd use your tongue, your lips, your mouth to say grievous words back and the battle was on. But now grievous words, you think, you're thinking righteously. According to the truth, you're dead to sin. You're alive to God because you're united to Jesus who is dead to sin and alive to God. And instead of yielding the members to the old boss of grievous words, now it's soft words. And uh, it's this is the way to spiritual freedom. You know, the moment you take the right step, God gives supernatural grace. Isn't that what the Bible said at the end of chapter 5? Wherein sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The moment you take a step in the right direction and you choose, like Daniel, you purpose in your heart not to defile yourself. God gives grace. Isn't it an amazing story? I was reading it with my son this past week with Josiah. Josiah will often come to me and he'll ask if he can have devotions with me. And he's, he's learning to read and doing well. But he was reading through uh, Daniel chapter 1. And we were both reading about how Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And when we got to the part about how he asked if he could have a certain diet different from the meat and the wine that the king offered, and how within just a matter of days his face was fairer and fatter. My son got a kick out of that. Uh, I told him that meant healthier. It was supernaturally God caused them to be um, fairer to look upon within a matter of days. Do you know that when we yield ourselves to God, we have God's power that's then given to us to, to follow through. The next time you're overwhelmed... You feel like you you cannot have victory. That's a lie. Once you're saved, you are dead to sin. You are alive to God. You have Jesus Christ. And Satan has no power over you. How does it work? Very simply, you know what's right. 
you know your position and standing in Christ. You're dead, buried, and risen with the living Christ. Jesus Christ is the new master. Sin is not yours. And we need to think that way. We need to think about who we are. You know, a lot of times we can identify with past sins in our life, or even things that have been done to us, and we can identify our whole life by a past tragedy. No, identify with Jesus Christ, who is your life. We can identify with with something that's not true. We need to identify with the truth. And last of all, we need to not just know what's right, think what's right, but do what's right. And how does that happen? By using the same members that have been yielded to sin, now yielding them to God, one step at a time, every day, all day long, looking to God, lust is not my boss, anger is not my Lord, worry has no authority, no right to rule over me, and neither does fear, because now I'm yielding my members to God. This is what we have right now. The day's coming. We'll be free from the very presence of sin, but right now we're already free from the power of sin and to God be the glory. If God has spoken to your heart, you say, oh Lord, I want to live in the victory that has been provided through my relationship with Jesus. I know the truth that as Romans 6 says, I am dead to sin. I am buried and risen with Christ in newness of life. I have a new master. I have a new union with Jesus. And I want to live in light of that. And that looks like yielding my members to God every day, not to sin. Lord, I want to live in the power over sin that Jesus has supernaturally provided. And, you know, this is a time to say, oh God, I don't want lust to rule over me. Lord, I don't want that old anger to, to grab hold of me. I don't want to be ruled by an unruly spirit. Lord, I want to be ruled by you. And we can be. The victory is already ours. Let's ask God to help us live in the victory, not in the defeat of the master deceiver. Let's not listen to him. Let's walk in truth, in newness of life. God bless you.